You're clocked out. We're locked in. You're listening to Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome into Crunch Time here on a Tuesday. It's the final day in February 2023. Matt Miguez here. The game hotline is 337-706-0111. That's 706-0111. And here in Acadiana, you can watch us on the simulcast, Stadium 32.3 and Channel 133 on LUS Fiber. Last night, the New Orleans Pelicans hosted a not great Orlando Magic's team. So the idea was, can the Pelicans get back on the right track? They could not. We'll recap that to bitter detail today. Uh, We will also preview a monumental matchup in college baseball between the top-ranked Fighting Tigers of LSU and the Texas Longhorns which you'll be able to hear this evening right here on the game. First pitch set for 6.30, pregame beginning at 6. And then we're going to talk scouting combine and some new rules being proposed in the sport of college football and what it could mean for the future of the game. My producer extraordinaire and my co-host is Mr. James Mesh. James, happy Tuesday. Nice choice of style today. Yeah, good good work for you. Second day in a row, we man, I, we wear the same shirt. I'd, I'd love to know who your inspiration is. Oh wait, that's me. No, that's me. This guy wants to dress like me. Mm-hmm. So tomorrow, mm-hmm. get guess the shirt color in three, two, one, navy. Blue. Yep. There you go. There you go. This guy gets it. Thursday, we're going back to red, probably. No. 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 No, he, he's going to break out the white. No, I'm going to go with the quarter zip. Oh, uh, there you go. There you go. There you go. All right. So, look, you know, looking at the at the Pelicans game last night, it was bad from the start. I mean, the Pelicans trailed by 11 at the first quarter break. They made it a little more manageable at the half and then just got beat up in the second half. Magic running away with it, 101 to 93. Paolo Bancaro, 29 points for the Orlando Magic. He had three massive mid-range jumpers in the closing minutes of the game to really put it on ice. But what's interesting, James, is when you look at the shooting numbers, neither team shot the ball particularly well. Orlando shot 46%, Pelicans shot 45. From 3, the Magic shot 27, Pelicans shot 22. It was pretty even. But when you look at the the way that things went down in this game, you had Markel Fultz come up with 14 points. You had Bancaro with 29. You had Mo Wagner with 14 off the bench. You had Franz Wagner with 11 off the bench, or starting, actually. And then you look at the Pelicans. B.I. had 25. C.J. had 18. And nobody else showed up. 
It's annoying watching CJ just chuck up a bunch of threes and make one of them. Well, that's the thing. That's the issue. And, and this and this is obviously just you know from what I can see. The Pelicans look incredibly disoriented. They look out of shape. There, there looks like there's no offensive identity. Guys are playing injured. Jonas Valanciunas being one of them. He's hobbling around when it's a timeout or, or when he's not on the on the floor. You have a lot of issues right now. And what's disturbing is, okay, yes, Jonas Valanciunas is, is nicked up. You've probably got a couple other guys that are nicked up. But for the most part, at 60 game, 62 games into the season, James, you're healthy. Other than Zion Williamson, everybody was available last night. And you played a team that is 13th in the, in the East? The East isn't good. We talked about this yesterday. Outside of the top four where it's Boston, Philly, Milwaukee, and Cleveland, maybe not in that order, but those four teams, it's not very good. Brooklyn just blew everything up. Atlanta's okay. Who else? The East isn't good. And you let a team that is a bottom feeder in the Eastern Conference come into your house when you're healthy and beat you. And it wasn't this close game that, you know, Oh, they hit a buzzer beater in the closing seconds. No, they beat you. What can the Pelicans do in the final 20 games? Now look, everything's still in front of them. You're still in the play-in tournament as of right now. Everything is still very tight in the Western Conference. So I know it kind of sounds like we're talking doomsday scenarios here for the Pelicans, but you don't feel good about yourself at all right now. Which kind of ties into the poll question of the day. Are the Pelicans still capable of being a playoff team? Yes, no, maybe, or are you kind of just asking when is MLB opening day? Right now the vast majority is leaning towards no. With this, with with how the Pelicans are trending, I don't blame them. Well, because here you have no timetable of when Zion's coming back. You've heard nothing. You've heard nothing on Zion Williamson. You're on a four-game losing streak now. You're now going to go on a three-game road trip. You only got so many games left, and now you're tenth in the West. And and you're and you're tied. And you're tied with, with Portland, Portland, who you play tomorrow night. Correct. You have to win. No ifs, ands, or buts. You have to win that game. And then what would be really nice is the next game you play is against Golden State, who's a game and a half ahead of you right now. It'd be nice to steal that one, too. Curry's hurt. Draymond's hurt, if I'm not mistaken. So they're, they're I think, hobbled. I think, I think I had heard a report about They're Draymond hobbled right hurt. now, too. You could You could jump them. You could figure out a way. And then you play Sacramento. They're third. 
He's probable, so he's probably going to come back soon. So, if you could... I mean, I know this sounds like a long shot here with the way the Pelicans have played, but if you can go 3-0 and on this Western Conference road trip... Wow. Oh, and I, oh I'm, not, <laughs> I'm not saying that's likely. I, I know. But I'm just saying, if you could put yourself in that position... You're back in the top six. Just like that. But the Pelicans need to figure out their biggest issues, and they need to figure them out fast. Because again, like I said, outside of Zion Williamson, who are you missing? You're healthy. Everybody's active. And you're not playing like it. But I don't know if they're necessarily healthy. Healthy enough to be active. Sure. If you're healthy enough to be active, you better be playing. I'm looking at the rest of their schedule. They they, they play the Trailblazers three more times. They play them tomorrow. It's not a bad place to be. They're at home March 12th versus the, the mm-hmm. Blazers, and then they go back to Portland March 27th. Well, if you could win all three of those, that would be would be nice. Or even two out of three. Um, Because, I mean, who's going to stop Damian Lillard? God, tear that guy. It's everybody warned us at the All Star break that it was Dame time, and it certainly has been. Game hotlines three three seven seven zero six zero one eleven. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers have announced that they will be cutting running back Leonard Fournette. James, you know I'm not the biggest Leonard Fournette fan. Could he fit New Orleans? Could he be the next guy on the list to come back home and play for his hometown team? I'm worried he's going to be the next Mark Ingram. Where at this point, you you have him come in, you give him a decent enough role, but the guy, I mean, with running backs, it's not like they have a slow progression down like a quarterback or like a receiver or... or you know, like a linebacker where it's like over time they start to slow down. No running backs, it's like hitting a brick wall. Like it, it, it's a deep drop for them. So with the fact that over the year you saw them go to Rashad White, the rookie running back, I don't feel uber confident. If you want to get him and have him be on like a one-year vet minimum and like he kind of plays and he's fighting for that third spot, sure. But I don't feel all that great about him being the RB2 and then even with Kamara Suspension being the RB1 for this offense. Yeah, it's it's going to be intriguing to see how the Saints address that position because we've talked for a while now about, you know, Alvin Kamara is a great open field, out in space kind of guy. Mm-hmm. But you need a bell cow that can push between the tackles, and you don't have one right and, now. And Fournette's a bruiser. Right. But when you saw his, kind of like his production last year, it it took a dip. Mm-hmm. It absolutely did. Rashad White had a large hand in that. But it, it, lo- it, like, it, looked, it looked okay to start, but you could tell. It's like, he's not really getting in the end zone. He had to tell fantasy owners, me included, like, hey, don't worry, I'm going to get in the end zone. He didn't get in the end zone very often. No. No, he didn't. Um, interesting to see the the con because obviously a, a conversation will be had. 
the the Saints would be crazy to not at least reach out and you know test out the waters there. Uh, speaking of the Saints reaching out, they are meeting with Derek Carr for a second time today. Uh, we will keep an eye on, on that scenario. He's also meeting with the Jets and the Panthers while in Indianapolis for the scouting combine. Uh, so we'll see how that plays out. I still think the Saints are the favorite to land Derek Carr uh, because Carolina just doesn't seem like a fit for him, in my opinion. And then the Jets just feel like Derek Carr is kind of a last resort option for them. Yeah, it doesn't seem like a main priority for the Jets. Yeah. They did say that they're looking at all possibilities, including trying to bring back Geno Smith. Which, Geno Smith, first year back, I mean, that'd be interesting. But I don't think he's leaving Seattle. Another guy they're looking I would, at. I, I I would take him with this. If he was available, I would take him as a Saints QB for oh, sure. Yeah. An- another guy the, the, Jet, the Jets are looking at is right in their backyard. In Giants quarterback Daniel Jones, who the Giants have said today that they're optimistic that they could keep both Jones and Barkley. Intriguing. It'll be interesting to see. I'm interested to see how they pull that off because that just doesn't seem that doesn't seem likely. One of them's going to have to get tagged, and I don't think either one of them getting tagged they would be very happy with that. And then going back to it, Cajuns got a player of the week. Yeah, Megan Shorman getting named Sunbelt Pitcher of the Week. She is now the second Cajuns pitcher to get pitcher of the week in just the third week of the season. She had a no-hitter against UCF last Tuesday and then got the win on Saturday over LSU in Baton Rouge. So big stuff for the Cajuns who got a big win in extra innings last night over Ole Miss. We'll recap all of that and much more throughout today's edition of Crunch Time. We'll take a timeout here, and when we return, we'll talk about that game, and you'll hear from head coach Jerry Glasgow right here on the game. This is Crunch Time on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Join us for a day of golf and giving at the Games Charity Golf Scramble benefiting Redbird Ministries, sponsored by courtesy of Bro Bridge. Hit the links at Farm D Alley Golf Course while supporting a great cause with all proceeds from the tournament going towards Redbird Ministries' mission of serving families who have been given the extraordinary cross to carry the loss of a child. In addition to 18 holes of golf, the day will include great prizes, food, drink, and a great day with the staff at the game and courtesy of Bro Bridge. So gather your friends and colleagues for a fun day on the course while making a difference in the lives of those in need. Get your foursome together and register now at 1037thegame.com, and together we can make a difference. Got something to say to Miguez and Mesh? Hell yeah! It's easy. Just call the hotline by dialing 337-706-0111. Now back to more Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. 420 here on this Tuesday. Welcome back to Crunch Time. Matt Miguez, James Mesh. The game hotline is 337-706-0111. That's 706-0111. Looking at the Cajuns softball game last night, Cajuns winning 
three to two in extra innings. It was a game that the Cajuns led two nothing for most of the contest until a throwing error in the seventh brought home two runs for Ole Miss to tie the game. You go to the eighth, a single by Maya Davis, and then a double by Maddie Hayden put some pressure on Ole Miss, and then you walk around Carly Heath to load the bases and kind of you know put some pressure with the force play at the plate. But Alexa Langliers, who had already had a monster game, said, "We're going to end this. We're going to end this right now with a single to right center that brought in a run to." Seal the deal for the Cajuns in a 3-2 victory. It was now five wins in the past six games. and was their third win in February over a Power 5 program. They will now head to Austin, Texas for the Longhorn Invitational, hosted by the number 13 Longhorns. They will play McNeese, Princeton, Tennessee State, and will have two matchups with the Longhorns. And that game, that tournament begins on Friday. The Cajuns will play McNeese at 2 before playing the Longhorns at 7. I want to remind you, Michael's Men's Club is hosting Aerial Angels on March the 8th, and if you want to get in the door, all you got to do is give us a call on the game hotline. It's 337-706-0111. No gimmicks, no catches. Call us up on the hotline, and you have two tickets to the show. It's that simple. So, first two people to get in today will win a pair of tickets to the Aerial Angels show. But going back to the Cajuns, we talked about softball getting a big win. Baseball is preparing for a midweek matchup tonight in Lake Charles with McNeese. And Yesterday, head coach Matt Deggs met with the media, and before previewing McNeese, he gave his thoughts on his team's four-game sweep over BYU. I thought it was a great series, uh, obviously, uh, but besides the four wins, first four-game sweep in 28 years, I mean, it's hard to fathom. Uh, but it just speaks how hard four-game series are, and they're kind of rare. Uh, but it was a, I thought it was a... Really good series by both teams, actually. And uh, BYU has got really good ball club. Uh, I think they're going to have a great season moving forward. Uh, they're well coached, obviously, and they've got really good personnel, and they're older. Uh, we were fortunate to come out of that thing with a sweep. I think, was it three, two, two or three? They were all one-run games except for one, three out of four. Uh, so, and that, you know, that goes to – our character as well, and uh, the belief that those boys have and the leadership that's inside that clubhouse. So I thought the fans were awesome this weekend, and our players did too. Uh, they were out in full force uh, for the most part and, and were in it from first pitch to the last, which was awesome uh, to see because it's a definitive advantage for us here at home. He's absolutely right about that. Four, four game sweeps, are, they're not easy to come by. Getting three game sweeps are kind of difficult already, but getting one, getting four, an extra game in, as well as it kind of being early, it's not like a Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. It was a Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and it was against a top fifty program in the country. It was the first one. It was the first four game sweep for the Cajuns since '96. Yeah, 
It had been 28 years since the Cajuns had won a four-game series sweeping the, the series. They they had a two-day doubleheader. Both, both days or, were doubleheaders yeah. against Prairie View A&M back in 96. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was the last time that, that they had swept a four-game series. So, and that was really, er- and this was really er- early yeah. on in the season. It's not like you already had your feet under you, like we're twenty, thirty games in. No, this was in the first ten. And you know, going even a little bit deeper into that, you you look at the four games that the Cajuns won. Three of them were one-run contests, and Coach Matt Deggs talked about having to be able to close out and and win those close games. Well, if as long as you can win them. And, you know, that's where that's the separator is, is who can win tight games. And this team's won a lot of those over the last two years. And they're very, like I was saying the other day, they're very comfortable in those situations. And, uh, you know, we're fortunate to have won all of them, but they didn't have to all be that close either, uh, if that makes sense. Uh, but, yeah, anytime you can live to tell about it, it's a great experience. If you don't, then, you know, it's uh, obviously a lot of cause for concern. Mad Dags also previewed the week ahead, including their midweek matchup tonight against McNeese. This week, we got to flip the page. Uh, last week's over. Uh, McNeese always plays us tough. They have a great venue and a great atmosphere as well. We're looking forward to going over there. We'll start Brennan Moody. Uh, it's his turn to go again. So, uh, we'll start him uh, tomorrow night and uh, look to get off to a great start and, and play some good baseball. Uh, if you fast forward to this weekend, Campbell is uh, maybe uh, one of our better opponents all year. Uh, they're really, really good and uh, great coaching staff. They have great players uh, and they've got a really good track record going over the last several years. They're top 30 program in my opinion. And uh, so it'll be exciting baseball this weekend. So the Cajuns are hosting Campbell this weekend. James, little little college athletics trivia for you here. Do you know the mascot of Campbell? Soup. No, <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's a good one. Uh, Campbell. They are the Campbell Fighting Camels. The Campbell Camels, baby. What a legendary college mascot. The Camels, South Dakota State's, the Jackrabbits. I know about the Jackrabbits. Uh, Grand Canyon University is the Lopes. Like, dude, that's just the Camels, the fighting Camels. Absolutely incredible. But Coach the logo, Deggs, the logo looks angry. Coach Deggs is absolutely right. They are a fantastic baseball program they're going to come into this matchup with the Cajuns with a record of six and one including a four-game win streak that includes a win over East Carolina in extra innings in a midweek contest so not a bad group for the, the Cajuns to welcome in to Russo Park but when you look at the game against McNeese tonight. I know that there are people, we have listeners both here in Lafayette and in Lake Charles, so this is kind of a a good matchup for us to get into. The Cajuns need to keep up 
the success that they've had early on, and McNeese needs to get on the right track. So that's going to make this contest at the Joe tonight very intriguing for a multitude of reasons. Let's go to the game hotline now. Ryan, what's going on? Yeah, I just, I'm good, man. Uh, thanks for taking the call. Just wanted to add in on what you were saying with the Campbell Campbells. I got a good one for you, uh, the Pittsburgh State Gorilla. That's, that's pretty much unusual you know, mascot. And, uh, and so, yeah, I always thought that was funny. Uh, not funny, but it's unusual mascot. So, wait, Pittsburgh State the Pittsburgh State Gorillas? <laughs> yes, sir. Wow. Pittsburgh State Gorillas. I have another one for you, too. If you are the University of Buffalo, how can your, ma- your, your mascot not be buffs or whatever, you know? Right. <laughs> yeah. Just, I, I just thought it was funny with you uh, with the mascot. I want to call it and uh, make a comment. <laughs> no, man, I appreciate that. <laughs> All right, thanks. Yeah, the colors are red and gold. I've never understood, like, okay, so Pittsburgh State. How could you have a Pittsburgh State when Pittsburgh isn't a state? Like, how can you have a state college in Pittsburgh when Pittsburgh isn't a state? I've never understood that concept. Because it's not the first time you've heard of a school being, like, city, state college, or, or something like that. And then there's McNeese State. Right. Like, where, how? It's always been a funny concept. Pittsburgh State. Hmm. Go, go Gorillas, I guess. That's actually a pretty a pretty solid mascot. I, I won't lie, um, but yeah, getting getting back to the the Cajuns and Cowboys, both teams need this game for different reasons. McNeese is three and four to start the season. They need to to get back on the right track and you know get an in state win to feel good about themselves at this point. The Cajuns are six and one, could really be seven and zero, oh, and they need to keep the train rolling. So good matchup set for the Cajuns and the Cowboys tonight in Lake Charles. Uh, our very own RP3 and Hannah Five Names will be out at the Joe giving you all the insider information and game recaps and, and whatnot. And we'll recap the game throughout the day tomorrow on all of our local shows here on the game. But we'll go ahead and take a timeout. And when we return, we're going to talk some college basketball postseason getting underway for all of our teams so we will preview their matchups and what it's going to take for them to go dancing here in march right here on the game you're listening to the game 1037 lafayette and 1041 lake charles slings it far side stingley steps inside the receiver and picks it off Southwest Louisiana's sports station. A shot to left field. Going back on it's Gordon. He'll look up at the corner. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. It's 436. Welcome back to Crunch Time. James, let's talk some college basketball. And we'll start with the McNeese Cowboys and Cowgirls as they prepare for their season finales tomorrow night against UNO. The women will play at 5. The men will play at 7.30. And James, I'm going to put this bluntly but nicely. They're both in trouble. The top eight teams in the conference get into the tournament, which means two teams are left out. Right now, McNeese is 10th for the men. 
They need to be in eighth. And with only one game left, seems a little unlikely. You would need a lot of help. Now, for the women, the women sit at seventh right now. Which you would be safe. And then getting that last win just is a little extra cushion. Well, you could go up to sixth because you're in a three-way tie with Northwestern and UNO. Mm -hmm. Which, you play UNO. So a win in that contest to close out the season would go a long way for Lynn Kennedy's group to play in the conference tournament that they are hosting for the next three years. But, you know, you kind of look at the season, especially for the men, and it kind of begs the question, is McNeese looking for a new coach this offseason? There's a very good chance. Is, is John Aiken's time up in Lake Charles? There's a very I, real, I, I feel like it is. There's a very real possibility that you will see a new head coach for the McNeese I Cowboys mean, after eight, after this season. 8-22 and 22 is just not good. And then the previous couple years that he's been there haven't really been much better. Now I understand what McNeese has had to go through with back-to-back hurricanes and the pandemic and you know everything else but at the end of the day 8 and 22 is just not going to get it done um so i'm interested to see what they're going to do in lake charles uh, in, in terms of basketball because again if, if you miss out on the conference tournament when you're hosting it it's not a good look um so again very interested to see what they're going to do. Meanwhile, looking at LSU, the women's team absolutely raked in the awards today. Flauger Johnson getting named SEC Freshman of the Year. She was also on the freshman, the all-freshman team. Samaya Smith also on the all-freshman team. Alexis Morris was named first-team All-SEC. And then Angel Reese was named first-team All-SEC, as well as the SEC All-Defensive Team. Absolutely raking in the awards. The one award she didn't get, though, SEC Player of the Year. That went to South Carolina's Aaliyah Boston. James Mesh, very surprised by that. Because I'm not. Not really. I mean, Angel Reese had herself a very good case. Getting almost 24 points a game and then grabbing 16 boards per game. I mean, it's a hell of an accomplishment, especially first year being in Baton Rouge. But, I mean, Aaliyah Boston, I mean, now she, she's she's up there for a reason. Now, did Angel Reese have better numbers than Aaliyah Boston this year? Yes. Yeah. Yes, she did. Yeah. I mean, she, she led the league. In both of those categories. But does it help Aaliyah Boston the fact that her team is 29-0? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, it does. Defending national champs 29-0 again? Yeah. That helps. Um, That's probably the sole reason that I went to Aaliyah Boston over Angel Reese. But do I agree with that? No. Am I surprised that I went to Aaliyah Boston once again? No. No, I'm not. LSU men's basketball. Can you get a win? Again? Because you won. You broke the streak. Then you you turned around and, and, and you lost to a bad Ole Miss team. Can you 
win your final home game of the season. You play Missouri tomorrow night. Now, Missouri is a good team. Like, really good. But can you find a way to contain them enough? Because when you went to Columbia, you only lost by 10. So can you figure out a way to get the PMAC crowd behind you and find a way to win it? And then Florida could be an interesting one too because Colin Castleton's been battling some injuries. So where are they going to be at? Not quite sure. Kim Mulkey's group awaiting their opponent for the SEC tournament beginning this weekend. The men have two more games. Their tournament will be next weekend. Meanwhile, for Louisiana, Gary Broadhead's group getting ready to kick off their tournament run tomorrow in Pensacola. Yesterday, he met with the media before the team took off for Pensacola, and he said that his team feels good heading into the tournament. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's kind of a tough week uh, with Texas State and Southern Miss. You know, it's kind of uh, – I thought we didn't really play very well against Texas State, cut it to five, I think, with four minutes left. So we had some opportunities to, to kind of keep it close and just didn't finish strong. And then uh, Southern Miss, it goes down to – we always talk about free throws and layups and missed a couple of free throws that I think it were pretty – important along the way and one thing I did figure out is uh, if you have a routine you're 12% better at the free throw line so as I've gone into tournament everybody's gonna have a routine Uh, but yeah tough game to lose Uh, I thought we had opportunities we saw some good things we played a little bit better especially the second half Uh, but you know you got to put a complete game together and actually it kind of worked out I think our draws uh, maybe a little bit better than we thought Uh, being a seven seed we feel pretty good about matchups and all that. And I think that's what the big thing going into the tournament, how you match up with the team that you, you're you going to play up until the semis and all that. So I, I like our I like our matchup. James, I've got a question for you. So if Louisiana beats App State tomorrow night, they would play Texas State on Friday, who they just played this past week. Does the amount of time, it being so short, between matchups, is that an advantage or a disadvantage if you're Louisiana? I mean, I think it helps both teams. Like, just recently playing, it's still going to be kind of fresh in the mind. You kind of moved on from it, and then you would went to Southern Miss, and then you're going to be playing App State. So, it, it was recently. I don't think it's an advantage or disadvantage either way. Because the way the way you look at it is if they do get past App State, you're going to play Texas State. Mm-hmm. And then more than likely, unless something crazy happens, if you beat Texas State, you would play Southern Miss. So that closeness and that familiarity, and then if you look at the two games that they played against Southern Miss, you lost by one, and then you lost in overtime. And most people would argue that the Cajuns probably should have won both of them. And then at Texas, the Texas State, they beat Louisiana here in the Cajun Dome. But when you went to San Marcos, you beat them by 20. So it's a tale of, of, of two different matchups there. But obviously first on the list is getting past App State, who the Cajuns handled pretty pretty easily 
uh, in the regular season. But Coach Broadhead went into a little bit further detail with that, saying that the matchups look good for Louisiana. Second half, I thought, you know, we played a little bit better. You know, we kind of switched up our defense a little bit. And, you know, we've been talking about playing some different type of zone and stuff like that. And, you know, it's it's basic matchup kind of stuff. And I thought we did a pretty good job. And we worked on it yesterday a little bit. We'll work on it today. So we may have something else that we can kind of slow people down, maybe confuse them a little bit. So I I really did like that. you know, turnovers are down a little bit. Uh, I thought we were handling the ball a little bit better, except for the, toward the end of the Southern Miss game. But, yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, kids are kid, – our kids understand when your back's against the wall and you, got, you, know, you lose one, you're out. I think we play better. I mean, I think a little bit more pressure uh, going into the tournament to try to win it. So I do, I do like that part of it, too. Uh, we got to shoot it better, too. I think that's going to be the big thing. You know, can we get Tamara and, you know, get um, – Lene gone again, you know, so I think that's going to be big. Coach really enjoys kind of having that back against the wall, like, absolutely. this this is it. He always go has. big or go home. He always has. His teams have always played well in the tournament. Mm-hmm. When, when you have that mentality where, look, you can't lose, his teams have always played better in, in, in that environment. So I'm very intrigued to see what this group will be able to do. Lene Wheaton has been a, a welcome spark for this group, Tamara Johnson as well. I'm interested to see what Jalen James can, can, can continue to do. She's had a nice stretch of games. Alicia Blanton, Destiny Rice, Sherry Porter. One person I'm really watching for Gary Broadhead's team is Mariah Stewart, who can be a bully down low when she wants to be. Can she step up and make it very tough for their opposition in this tournament is going to be a a big factor for their success in in Pensacola, in my opinion. Uh, But their season, their tournament in Pensacola kicks off tomorrow night at 7.30 against App State. We'll take a timeout here and we'll wrap up hour number one right after this. This is Crunch Time on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. You can win a VIP package from Michael's Men's Club's Aerial Angels event on March the 8th by sending a simple text. To score a table for four with bottle service and appetizers, simply join the game's text club by texting ANGELS to 337-283-8100. And once you're a member, you'll be eligible to score tickets to see Aerial Angels on March 8th, courtesy of the game's text club. Once again, ANGELS to 337-283-8100. But if you're not feeling the VIP treatment and you just want to be there, give us a call on the game hotline, 337-706-0111 and we'll give you a pair of tickets to the show right here on The Game. Tune in every weekday at 8.15 a.m. and 3.15 p.m. for the LSU Sports Update, presented by Tibbs Trailers here on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Don't forget to vote on the poll question of the day. Do you think that the Pelicans are still capable of being a playoff team? Yes. No. Maybe so. But where? Also, when is the MLB opening day going to happen? I mean, come on, Matt. When's it happening? At this point, you're kind of over the Pelicans. Yeah. You don't feel great about it. 
Losing four in a row. Now going to go on a three-game road trip. I watched David Hensley hit a 422-foot boomba earlier today. Boombas. We love those. So, yeah, I'm kind of ready for baseball season. Kind of looking at some of the comments. Also, if you haven't voted yet or if you haven't left your comment on the post, go ahead and do it on game underscore Louisiana. Looking at it, Ton said, man, this was going to be our year. Zion could be the most talented player in the league, but he's never on the court. What does it matter? Ralph, speaking of the Pels, has anyone conducted a Lewis Prejean wellness check recently? Oh, poor Lewis. Lewis is probably struggling right now. John Paul said there's something wrong. They fixed it last year. This year they are running out of time. Darren, they are capable, but what do you expect? First round loss, win two games, and you think they have a great team? Same story every year. I mean, it's pretty much the same stuff. I mean, you think, oh, they're all of a sudden going to go on a little bit of a streak. Maybe they could catch fire before the playoffs. No, they actually go on the complete opposite. They're ice cold. And not the good kind of ice cold. No, they just, their offense does not look good. Everybody seems to be injured. Healthy enough to play, but still not looking like themselves. And the defense has been lacking of the sorts. Kind of keeping it in basketball, keeping it in Cajun realm. Bob Marlin and the Cajun's men's basketball team. They got the double bye. Looking pretty right now. And I mean... We had had Bob Marlin for availability yesterday for media day. And he kind of addressed the free throws because Jordan Brown in the last game, even though they had won, he was only two of 11 from the charity stripe. And it's kind of looked like as a team, they do okay. But we talked about it before, Matt. You're going to need to make your free throws Absolutely. In, in crunch time. No ah. pun intended. <laughs> if you want to move on and make no, it for deep. Sure. I, I always say it's more of a yips on a putting green. Yeah. But, you know, you're right. And, uh, you know, what, what I've done in my career as a head coach, assistants do different things, but as a head coach, I'll go make one minor adjustment or say one little thing, and then they make a couple in a row, and you go see there. And just <laughs> so it is all mental. You try to get it in their head. And uh, we shoot good free throws. I mean, Jordan the other night was two for 11, unfortunately, but he's been nine for 11, too. And he's just got to regroup and, and make those. But, yeah, the guys have been in the gym all weekend working on their free throws. You know, now it's now it's time to come down to business because Coach talked about how Jordan was 2 for 11, but there's nights where he's 9 of 11. You need him to be 9 of 11 every night from here on out. It's, it's just that simple. Um, you need Jordan Brown to play the games that he's been playing, getting double-doubles. You need Greg Williams to knock down threes from outside. Terrence Lewis to clean up the glass and the Cajuns to play good defense. You need Themis Folks to be Themis Folks. I was going to say Themis, I mean, make a couple shots, be a facil- facilitator, get some assists, record those dimes. I mean, yep. if you can do what you've been doing, you should be good. And Coach Marlin also went into the importance of those surrounding pieces outside of Jordan Brown. We, we need everyone. And we need the outside game as well as the inside game. We still led the league in field goal percentage, thanks to Jordan. Uh, and I, I think we were first or second in the final tally in three-point percentage. I think we may have still finished first, but we, did, we weren't shooting 40%. We were ranked as high as number two nationally in three-point shooting a couple of weeks ago. And at the game Friday night, 
South hit maybe four in the first half, and we had zero. And in the second half, they don't make any, and we make two, and that was Mike and Jalen. Jalen broke, broke the lid off of it, and then Mike made one. So we need those guys to hit three-point shots. Jordan's going to get double and triple teamed every night to some degree, unless they want to play him one-on-one, and we saw what happened with that. And then lastly, Bob Marlin talked about the importance. We talked about the, the surrounding pieces. How important is Jordan Brown going to be in the tournament run? Well, he's the best inside player in our league. I think he's the best player in our league. I think it's it's uh, a no-brainer to me. Uh, you know, he plays five less minutes than Kenzie and those other players that are up for the award. And uh, But he's been fantastic. We need him to keep moving forward. And he had great games last year. He had a couple of really good games at Pensacola, and we need him to continue to play at the level he's playing in. I mean, 13 or 15 the other day, right hand, left hand, jump hook off the glass, jump or turnaround off the dribble. I mean, he showed what he can – offensive rebounding. He showed what he can do, and, and uh, he's excited about trying to go be MVP of this tournament. The Cajuns will begin play in the Sunbelt Conference Tournament on Saturday, and they await the winner of ULM and Georgia Southern in their quarterfinal matchup in Pensacola. But that's going to do it for hour number one of Crunch Time. Hour number two, we're going to kick it off with Brendan Moore talking scouting combine as well as the NCAA trying to make college football games shorter. We'll do all that and more next here on Crunch Time. You're listening to the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. You're home for the LSU Tigers and the Houston Astros. You're clocked out. We're locked in. You're listening to Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's Sports Station. It's hour number two of crunch time here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. You're home for the LSU Tigers and the Houston Astros. Matt Miguez, James Mesh. The game hotline is 337-706-0111. And here in Acadiana, you can watch us on our simulcast, Stadium 32.3 and Channel 133 if you are a LUS Fiber customer. In our number one, we talked about the New Orleans Pelicans and what it's going to take to feel good about them. Um, we've also touched on college basketball, college baseball, and some college softball as well. Let's stay in the amateur-ish ranks, and we'll talk some college football now before we get to a preview of LSU and Texas tonight in college baseball. It's our guy, Brendan Moore, from the Sideline Sports Network. Brendan, good afternoon, sir. How are you? I'm doing good, Matt. How are you? Oh, man, doing fantastic, man. So, you know, we've looked at – I'll start with this topic because you, you've seen it already with college baseball. They're trying to speed the game up, the MLB as well. Uh, they have implemented, you know, pitch clocks and – there's a clock in between innings, and batters can only call timeout in certain situations and, and things like that. And now the NCAA is saying, well, it's looked good so far. Maybe we can shorten football games, too. Yeah, I mean, with the four proposals, uh, I think that was last week that they came out. I mean, it's obvious that they want to shorten the game, shorten the, uh, 
shorten the plays or do less plays, shorten the game length in terms of just time to play the game. I think the average game length right now in college football, if I'm not mistaken, is three hours and 21 minutes. They want to cut down on that. I mean, and they're altering the game, which to me, I, I didn't see anyone asking for them to shorten the game. Like, I've never seen a fan come out and say, okay, we need to cut out some of this football because I'm tired of sitting here for three hours and 21 minutes. The fans want less ads. That's what they want. And me personally, as a fan watching on TV, I think they should cut out some of the commercials. I know it's it's a money grab, the ads, and it's important that they make the money. However, I just think certain things are very unnecessary. The 20-minute halftime being one of them, I think cut that down to 15 minutes. I mean, the ads, when a team scores a touchdown, then it cuts to a commercial break for three and a half minutes. Then you come back, and it's a kickoff, goes for a touchback, and there's another three-and-a-half-minute ad break. That's some of the stuff I think they need to cut out instead of cutting down plays. Right. Like, uh, that's what I was going to get into. When you're at a game, look, you know, football football's a three-and-a-half-hour game. It always has yeah. been. And, and you like you said, nobody complains about that. The problem is is when you're sitting at home watching a game on TV and it takes you four hours because there's 40 minutes of commercials tied into it. That's yeah, what exactly. makes it long. Yeah, and when I'm at the game, I mean, I go to all the Michigan State football games, and it gets cold in October and November, and I'm sitting out there freezing my behind off in, you know, 20 degrees with – you know, 30 mile an hour winds and the guy is sitting on the field with the, right. with the clock. Uh, the guy with like the red vest and lay like, indicating that he works for ESPN or, or Fox or whoever is holding up the clock with the time remaining in immediate timeout. And it's always like three and a half, four minutes. It's just too long. That part is what they need to cut out. Now, Brendan, looking at some of the rules, one, one, proposal that I'm not necessarily against is leaving the clock running after a first down. That that's yeah. how that's yeah. how the NFL does it. I don't necessarily hate that rule. Yeah, I mean, I don't hate it either. I like I don't mind rules number 1 and 2. I'm sure we'll get into that later, but speaking on the rule 3 mentioned when the clock runs after first down except inside 2 minutes and a half. That's like the that's the proposal. I don't mind that. That's what the NFL does. NFL games are like 10 minutes, I think, on average shorter than college football games. So I, I don't mind that. But to me, still, no one was really asking for that. Like, if they implement these rules, I'm, I'd be I'd be okay if they implement that. I wouldn't, I wouldn't be too keen on it, but I get it if you're trying to cut down on injuries and, I guess, player safety. But back to player safety, I mean – you're also expanding the playoffs. So if right. you're, if Alabama wins a national championship game, they're going to be playing 17, 16 or 17 games in an expanded playoff or whoever wins the national championship. So, like, so they preach on this player safety, but they're adding games. So I, I, it's kind of a balance that they're trying to find, I think, with this. Now, looking at a couple of the other rules, the op- eliminating the opportunity for teams to call consecutive timeouts, that I'm in favor for. That's fine. Um, you know, the the whole you have three timeouts and they're lining up for a game winning field goal, let's call all three timeouts. Like that's that's always been a little much in uh in my opinion. So I'm okay with that rule 
and then the eliminating of untimed downs and carrying over any penalties to the next quarter. I'm okay with that one as well. Yeah, I agree with you. Rules one and two, I think, are good. Uh, obviously, no one wants to see three timeouts in a row, and we're sitting in the crowd for three, four minutes waiting for them to kick a, a game-winning field goal that'll take three seconds. And on, on time down as well, I agree with that. I mean, no reason for an untimed down at the end of the first or third quarter. So I agree with one or two. I'd be totally cool if they add those uh, into the game this upcoming season or the year after, whenever they plan on doing it. Obviously, these are just proposals right now. So, yeah, one and two I'm okay with. Number three, which we kind of already touched on, I'm kind of iffy on that. If they add it, okay, it's fine. They, I, I probably would prefer if they don't add it because that's cutting down on some plays. But, I mean, I'm sure we're going to address number four here. So, you know, looking at looking at the other rules that, that they're looking at, you, you brought up number four. How do you think the idea of cutting out plays and shortening a game, like you mentioned, the average time of a game is, is three hours and 21 minutes. How how much shorter can you really get? Yeah, I mean, there's a fine line of uh, you know shortening the game, but also maintaining a good product. And they got to find that balance. And to me, this the proposal, which is the clock runs after incompletions once the ball is spotted. Correct. That, to me, that's just going too far. I don't think this proposal will come to fruition. I, it's kind of just one of those that's just out there and just to see the reaction of, of people, of like, like the media, like the fans. To me, I don't I don't know anyone that is for that proposal. So, well, cause, me, that one's way out there. Well, the thing is, is that the clock will continue to run as an incomplete pass or after an incomplete pass. The NFL doesn't even do that. So why would the NCAA, who you know, it's, it's been believed that you you kind of mold yourself and model yourself after the NFL? If the NFL's never done that, why would you? Yeah, I mean, there's some things that I say, okay, let's do it differently from the NFL from a college football perspective. But in terms of game flow and like the length of the game, I think NFL has a pretty pretty close to perfect. So I mean, clock runs on incompletions—that's just dumb because then. Also, that can ruin late-game drives, either at the end of the second quarter or uh, coming down the wire in the fourth quarter. Because if you spike the ball, the clock's going to run once the ball is spotted. So that would pretty much eliminate all spikes. I mean, to me, that's eliminating a part of the game, uh, like a strategy that teams use in order to get a game-winning drive going, either get a game-winning field goal, touchdown, whatever. Chatting with Brendan Moore of the Sideline Sports Network. Brendan, let's look at the... Scouting Combine now in Indianapolis. Who are some players that you are incredibly intrigued to watch this week participate in the Scouting Combine? Uh, I mean, I'm interested to see Will Levis. I'm not a huge Combine fan. To me, I got what I – I mean, I've seen what I needed to see throughout the college football season and into the Senior Bowl and some of those All-Star games. But I think Will Levis is interesting just because he's got a lot of hype, like top 10 hype, uh, maybe number three quarterback off the board type hype. I don't buy him being the number one quarterback off the board come draft time. I don't know, he's just he's just got raw mechanics. I don't know, he's a strong arm. He's He's got a good size on him. He's tall, he's big, he's got a quick release. But 
man, I need, I just need to see more of Will Levis in game to really see him being a top 10 pick, which I don't see him being a top 10 worthy pick. You know, the and you brought up Will Levis, and that's an interesting point. Another guy that I just don't see as a top 10 pick, and some people have said he's going number one overall, is Anthony Richardson. I completely agree. I don't see him a I don't even see him a first round pick. Like now nowadays, Josh Allen a couple of years ago, he was a big name. He was either gonna be boom or bust. Obviously now he's been a boom. He's one of the best quarterbacks in the league. But as a result, now everyone's trying to find their uh name's blanking me already, uh Bill's quarterback. Josh Allen. Josh Allen. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They're trying to find their next Josh Allen. And this year, it seems to be Will Levis or Anthony Richardson. I just don't see it with any of them. Anthony Richardson, I mean, he's, an, he's a great runner. He's a great playmaker, super athletic. But, I mean, he's not a good passer at all. Like, a lot of people title him a dual-threat quarterback. To me, he's a single-threat quarterback. He struggles to pass the ball. He's more of a runner. So, I'd like to see more out of Anthony Richardson He's got potential if he can get there in the passing game, but I don't see it in the first round. I don't, I'm not risking it if I'm a GM in the first round. Yeah, he has plenty of upside, but the thing is, you know, you see so many mock drafts having him as a top 10 quarterback. In my opinion, if you draft a guy top 10 in today's NFL, he is going to start games for you in year number one. It might not be Absolutely. week one, but at some point, he's going to take over the job. And I don't think Anthony Richardson would be ready to do that in 2023. I don't think so either. I think if he starts, you're going to kind of see a Malik Willis situation with him at the with the Titans. Yep. Malik Willis started a little bit. Uh, you know, he was more comp, maybe better as a runner than he was a passer. Willis, same thing kind of here with Richardson. I guess an underrated quarterback I'd like to point out is Dorian Thompson Robinson. I just think he, I mean, he's got similar qualities to Richardson, but I think he's way better in the passing game than Richardson is. Uh, DTR, uh, UCLA quarterback, great runner. Um, he's accurate with the football. He can run the option game, the RPO, or the read option. So I like, personally, I think Dorian Thompson-Robinson is a better version of Anthony Richardson, if that makes sense. Now, Brendan, I know we talk a lot of college football with you, but I, I, I just have to ask you, Derek Carr is going to be in Indianapolis to meet with the Saints, Jets, and Panthers this week. Who does he play quarterback for in 2023? Man, that's tough. I'll go with the Jets. I it, it's tough, man. But I think the Jets are too far down in the draft order to get, I guess, a for sure solid quarterback. I think the two for sure solid quarterbacks in this draft are Bryce Young and C.J. Stroud. I think they're too far down in the draft order. So, I think they take Derek Carr. Fair enough, Brendan Moore of the Sideline Sports Network joining us here on Crunch Time. Brendan, appreciate your time. And uh, when the draft gets a little bit closer, we'll have you on again, and we'll talk some uh, some draft prospects. Yep, sounds good, Matt. Take care. And there he goes, Brendan Moore of the Sideline Sports Network. Once again, Ariel Angels next Wednesday at Michael's Men's Club. If you want to get in, call us on the game hotline, 337-706-0111. We've got two pairs of tickets to give away with your name on it. Once again, Ariel Angels next Wednesday at Michael's Men's Club in Broussard. We'll take a timeout when we return. James Mesh and I will look 
at some more top stories in the world of sports. And then at 530, we're going to have a great conversation with Danny Davis from the Austin American Statesman previewing LSU versus Texas tonight from Dish Falk Field in Austin right here on the game. This is Crunch Time on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. The monster trucks are coming back to the Cajun Dome with the toughest monster truck tour, returning March 17th and 18th. And the game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, has a VIP package for you. Enter in the Game Rewards Club at 1037thegame.com to score four tickets, access to the pit area, a merchandise certificate, and lunch with the truck drivers that Friday. The toughest monster truck tour is coming back, and you could win a VIP package courtesy of the game. You know the routine. Eat, drink, sleep, and sports. All day, every day. You're listening to The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. 520 here on your Tuesday. Welcome back to Crunch Time. Matt Miguez, James Mesh. The Game Hotline is 337-706-0111. One one. We talked about LSU women's basketball earlier. We have audio from Kim Mulkey earlier in the week when she gave her thoughts about the SEC tournament and her team responding better in the last couple of games of the regular season in preparation for the SEC tournament who they will get kicked off here in the SEC tournament later this week uh, when they battle as the number two seed. They're on a collision course with South Carolina once again for the SEC tournament championship. But Kim Mulkey said, she put it perfectly, this team is looking to win the SEC tournament. I'll say this again. If I was the champions of the SEC, if I have second place, I struggle the older I get with why do we play conference tournaments? Why do you play them if you're already a pretty good in pretty good shape for postseason? You play them for the Cinderellas. You play them for those that are on the bubble. So I have to motivate this team to understand, oh yeah, we're competitors. We're go- we're going to play for something. Now, I've never won an SEC tournament game as a coach. We got knocked out right out of the gates. And then Kentucky went on and won it last year. So our goal is to win one more in the SEC tournament than we've done since this staff has been there, been here. Kim Mulkey also talked about her group responding better as of late and how that could help them in the tournament. Better. I said after the Vanderbilt game, I thought the first half was as active as we've been. Tonight... I can't just say we were as active, but a lot of that has to do with Mississippi State. They are hard to defend. And when you get caught in a one-on-one situation trying to defend the dribble, do I help, do I not help, do they kick it out for a three? Here's the thing. They only made four threes. And I want to say two of their four were post players. So I thought we did a good job of taking away the three ball. We gave up more layups. Uh, than I would have liked, but I can't compare what we did at Vandy in the first half and tonight. What I can tell you is they listened to scout report. They're trying to do better in, in having five LSU players 
be active. We weren't active offensively at the beginning of the game, but that's because Mississippi State confused us on some things. We thought, well, is that a man? Is that a one-two-two? Is that and Lex and Poa, those guys have to make decisions with the ball in their hands sometimes. And credit to Mississippi State, they kind of kept us off balance and, and we were stagnant a lot. We're going to talk NFL scouting combine here in a moment, but before we get to that, James, we spoke with Chris Murphy last week and he talked about how the Honda Classic came at a really bad time in the PGA Tour schedule because it's right after the Waste Management Open, and it's right before Arnold Palmer and the players, and think there's a lot of big tournaments in this stretch early on in the year, and the Honda Classic just isn't one of them. So it's a tournament that a lot of prominent players, your Scotty Shufflers, your Rory McIlroys of the world, don't play yet. However... What did you believe me if I told you that the Honda Classic had almost 10 times as many viewers as Liv Golf did this weekend? Liv's, remember, Liv's not living too good right remember now. Remember Big Bad Liv Golf with the big payouts and mm-hmm. the glitz and the glamour and the. And a whole bunch of top oh, golfers moving towards them instead of staying with the PGA. Oh, we're going to be better than the PGA? Hmm, not so fast, my friends. On Saturday. 286,000 people watched Live. Mm-hmm. 1.61 million watched the PGA Tour. Let's go to Sunday. Went up a little bit for Live. 291,000. Got an extra 5K. 2.38 million tuned into the final round of the Honda Classic. Okay? Mm-hmm. And, you know, everybody said that Live Golf was going to get better viewing now that it had a TV network deal with the CW. It had an average rating of 0.18 and less than 300,000 viewers on average. You know what CW has gotten more viewers for? World's Funniest Animals and a rerun of Masters of Illusion. Can you say yikes? Which I didn't even know World's Funniest Animals was a show. I didn't either, <laughs> but I'm kind of intrigued. I kind of want to go watch it now. Now I'm interested. Yeah, what what's world's funniest animals? I look it up on YouTube. I I gotta I gotta watch a little bit of that. But no, so scouting combine this week going on in Indianapolis. Um, we talked about Derek Carr being there, meeting with multiple teams in the NFL. We talked yesterday about this headline: uh, Bryce Young, the widely believed number one overall pick in the draft. He's not going to throw at the combine, which is not out of the ordinary. You've you've seen it happen before. But, James, I'm almost wondering if you're not going to throw at the combine as a quarterback, is there really a point? Because you could do of, the of going to Indy at all. You could do the forty, and you could do mm-hmm. the bench press, and you mm-hmm. could do all of that. But aren't you also going to do that at your pro day at Alabama? So if you're not going to throw for the scouts, what's kind of the point? Other than interviews, 
interviews to show off the knowledge. And I mean, maybe he doesn't even do some of the other stuff as well. Maybe he strictly goes for interviews. And maybe does the bare minimum of that. That's kind of that's kind of what I like. If you're not going to throw, I wouldn't do anything physical. Just go for interviews, meet with the scouts, meet with the coaches, and then skedaddle. Hey, if you want to, if you want to watch me throw, come to my pro day. I'll throw a pro day. But like, as a quarterback, if you're not going to throw at the combine, what are you there for? Now, I I get the whole idea of resting and. You know, preparing and making business decisions, and that's fine. But the combine is the opportunity for you to show scouts what you can do and why you're believed to be the number one overall pick. So if you don't throw at the combine, it just doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. Because again, you could do the 40 and you could do the bench press and the shuttle run and all that, and that's all great. But you're also going to do that at your pro day. In Tuscaloosa. So, uh, again, just kind kind of strange the way that that is, that is kind of played out here as of late. But, James, uh, going on with the, the Bryce Young story, his official combine measurement came in at 5 foot 10 and a half. And Todd McShay has said that if he was an NFL GM, he would be, quote, terrified to draft Bryce Young. Why? Is it just because the fact that he's under six foot? Yeah, a lot of, a lot of people look towards the we look you look for at least six one, six two. I mean I so, get it. So seeing five ten, which I'm not necessarily worried about it because if he knows how I what I would look at is how often does the guy have his throws batted down. Right. That's what I would be more worried Which about. Which is not very now the NFL is going to be a different beast than Correct. than college football. But my thing is this. 5'10, 6'5. Kids got the skill set. The kids got the skill set. Mm-hmm. And the SEC with him playing in the SEC and at Alabama that's about as good as you're going to get of yep. like getting a taste of the NFL. That's sure. the closest you're going to get without being on an NFL team. Yeah. Um, and, and, I mean, Bryce Young was fantastic at Alabama. Because, look, if you've got low batted down numbers on your throws, I feel pretty good about it. Because even though I like Justin Herbert, he's 6'6", but guess what? Because of his arm motion, he has a lot of his passes batted down. Mm-hmm. That's that's the big worry. If he if Bryce Young at 5'10 can have a better batted down percentage of his throws, I don't see it as big of an issue. Because he's going to find ways he'll, if he can figure it out and if he's smart enough to figure out the plays and figure out coverages, he'll be able to get through it because we've seen other guys before. I mean, he's athletic like Kyler. Absolutely. Absolutely he's athletic like Kyler. And I think what puts Bryce Young ahead of Kyler is the fact that Bryce Young has appeared to have a much better work ethic than Kyler Murray has. Correct. Um, I mean, Kyler Murray didn't study the playbook. Are you kidding me? You're an NFL, you're an NFL quarterback, and in your contract, they had to put a film study clause and a homework clause to study your playbook. Yikes. 
It's not a good look. You've never heard that about Bryce Young. Now, can that be a little more elevated when he gets to the NFL? Maybe. But even just watching him, I don't get that vibe from Bryce Young. So I think Bryce Young could be a much different story than Kyler Murray has been so far during his time in the NFL. Will Derek Carr be a saint? Hopefully we know by the end of the week. Because otherwise, I mean, the Saints are going to have to do something. You're going to have to figure something out. Because Aaron Rodgers, probably not going to happen. Lamar Jackson, almost certainly not going to happen. Daniel Jones, more than likely, won't happen. So you got Derek Carr, you got Jimmy Garoppolo, and then Carson Wentz, Baker Mayfield, Jameis Winston. That pool. TikTok. Possibility to bring back Andy Dalton. I don't want any of those. So Derek Carr, Jimmy Garoppolo. Sam Darnold. <laughs> please. Please. Otherwise, I'm seeing Hendon Hooker in the Big Easy. But we'll take a time out here on Crunch Time when we return. Danny Davis of the Austin American Statesman will join us, and he's going to preview the matchup between the top-ranked LSU Tigers and the Texas Longhorns on the baseball diamond next. Had a rough day at work? Got lady problems? Not to worry, because you have two wingmen right here. You can be my wingman anytime. Now back to more Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Crunch Time here on The Game. Matt Miguez, James Mesh. The Game Hotline is 337-706-0111. In a little less than half an hour, we're going to throw it over to Austin, Texas, and the voice of the Fighting Tigers, Mr. Chris Blair, for a battle on the diamond between two college baseball blue bloods. The LSU Fighting Tigers currently number one in the country. They will do battle with the Texas Longhorns. And to preview that matchup with us he covers the Longhorns for the Austin American Statesman. It's Mr. Danny Davis. Danny, thanks for taking the time, sir. How are you? I'm doing good. Thanks for having me. I'm ready for some uh, a, a fun baseball game. I don't know what the result's going to be, but I, I I know I'm going to have fun tonight. Yeah, it, it's always it's always a you know even looking at this matchup, it, it's a historic matchup dating you know as far back as I can remember is the the 2009 College World Series final that was just a, an absolute show um so I, I don't doubt that tonight will be very similar to that but let's start with the first seven games that the Longhorns have played this year you know they started in Arlington with the college baseball showdown at Globe Life Field and they played three really good teams in Arkansas Missouri Vanderbilt fell short in all three of them came home to Austin, played A&M Corpus Christi, and then a three-game set with Indiana where they won three out of the four. They now sit at three and four on the season. In your opinion, you know, where is this team at just seven games in? I think if you probably looked at it realistically before the season, I think Texas is right where you expected them to be. I think if you asked me to predict their record by the LSU game, I would have said four and three or three and four. Um, I maybe would have picked them to win the Missouri game, but you know, obviously Vanderbilt's a great team. Arkansas is a great team. And it's really hard to sweep um, any, op- any opponent. So it's not completely stunning that 
Indiana took one took one of them um, from Texas this past weekend. Um, you know, that series in Arlington, Texas was competitive um, for the most part in the the Arkansas and the Missouri games. Both those were one run games, and then had one awful, terrible, bad inning against Vanderbilt, and that you know completely killed their chances of closing out that weekend with a with a win. So you know, there's some things to look. Um, you know, look at that weekend and be like, all right, you know, Texas wasn't completely overmatched. They weren't terrible. And this is a Texas team that is a very new look team. I mean, this is not the team that went to Omaha last year or the year before that. Um, they're still trying to figure out a lot of stuff with some freshmen, with some transfers, um, trying to figure out who they are. They're not going to be that home run bashing team that they were last year with Ivan Melendez, who's obviously now in the Diamondbacks organization and some of the other power hitters they had. So this Texas team is just trying to figure some stuff out. Um, it's going to be bumpy. Um, luckily for Texas, their March schedule is a lot of hot, hot garbage, and they're going to have a lot of um, a lot of time to, to figure some stuff out before Big 12 play starts, and they get going in a competitive conference. But three and four, four and three, the record's not great on the outside looking in. But I think if you're a realistic Texas fan or observer, this is about what you should have expected. Now, you know, looking at some of your leaders, Porter Brown, the TCU transfer leading the way from a batting perspective, hitting 320 with, with three homers and eight RBIs already this year. Now, from from our perspective here in Louisiana, we saw Porter Brown last season in the College Station Regional when the Rage and Cajuns did battle with the Horned Frogs. Talk about Porter and, and the season, the early success that he's had so far this year. Yeah, I mean, obviously you, you mentioned the numbers. I mean, those are he's leading the team in, our, in um, batting average, leading the team in home runs, leading the team, I believe, in RBIs as well. Um, he could be doing a little bit better on the base pass. I think he's one for three on stolen bases, and um, you know that was a huge problem for Texas on Sunday. I think they had four caught stealing, so he could be a little bit better on the base pass. But Texas was excited when um, Porter decided to transfer, and he picked Texas. Obviously, that's a veteran outfielder who's gone through these battles. Obviously, he'll he'll know the Big Twelve um, really well when conference play starts. So that's a that's an asset, and you know it's a guy who has um, some experience. So these younger guys in the locker room will listen to him when he decides to speak up and speak his mind and, you know, tr- tries to lead because, you know, even though he hasn't been a Longhorn for more than whatever it is, six months or whatever, when he got to campus, you know, he does, he can point to his resume. And I think a lot of those younger guys will respect that. And obviously his play is doing the talking too. So um, I think from a leadership perspective and experience perspective and a, a play perspective, he's, he's been as advertised, but obviously it's seven, Seven games, and I've been joking that he's on a pace to break Ivan Melendez's single home run record um, at Texas, and I don't know if he's going to keep up that pace, but it's a good start for him um, here at Texas. And then on the pitching mound, Lucas Gordon, <clears throat> excuse me, Lucas Gordon has been a guy to to really lead the Longhorns with a .84 ERA in two appearances. He's only allowed six hits, one run. He struck out thirteen. Again, we talked about the small sample size. I know it's early, but to see those numbers just through two appearances, you have to feel somewhat good about the track that he is on for the 2023 season. Yeah, Lucas obviously came in with all the, oh, I don't know if hype's the right word, but people um, kind of assumed he'd be their, their Friday starter at Texas, and that um, was the job he got. He had a kind of breakout year last year once uh, Tanner Wake got injured, and he Led into the rotation. He was the preseason um, on the preseason all conference team. I think the Big 12 only had five pitchers, so he was one of those five. 
So, I mean, people were expecting a lot from him, and he's uh, lived up to that so far. Um, you know, Indiana is what Indiana is, but Arkansas, that's a top-10 team, and he, um, you know, kept uh, Texas in that game. So, you know, the stats are the stats. He's looked really good over these first uh, first two um, starts this year, looked really good throughout the season last year, and he's, uh, he's going to be that front-line guy because this Texas team, until this offense gets going, they're going to need to win with their pitching. And, um, you know, they're going to need to get better on defense as well, but they're going to need to win with their pitching. So if Lucas is pitching the way he does, is if Lucas pitches the way he did the last two weeks throughout the course of the season, I think Texas will feel pretty confident, at least on Fridays. And hopefully those guys behind them, the Travis Daly's, the Zane Morehouse's, they kind of, you know, take a cue from him and um, those competitive, you know, juices get flowing and they, you know, try to keep up with uh, what Lucas is, do- is doing. Danny, where would you say the biggest positive is thus far for Texas? Is it on the offensive side? Is it on the mound? Where do you think? Where have you seen the most growth through the first seven games? I mean, I think you got to be happy with the pitching, um, at least with Lucas Gordon. Um, you know, Zane Morehouse, Travis Daly. They've had they've had moments. Um, and Travis probably had the worst luck loss ever in that Vanderbilt game. He gave up eight runs, and they're all unearned so you can't really hold that against him he pitched well against indiana as well um zane's had some ups ups and downs but i think you look at those three um you look at lebaron johnson who lsu fans will likely see tonight and, and unless david decides to throw a curveball with his midweek starter he had a really good start last week against uh um, a&m corpus christi which is not lsu but you know still a good start for his first start so you're, they're getting good starts from their from their starting pitchers and that's really kind of what you need because this offense is not a finished product. There's a lot of question marks about this defense. And so while those things figure themselves out, they're going to need their pitching staff and their bullpen, which has a lot of new fresh faces in it as well, um, to step up and carry them. So I think if you're a Texas fan, you're, you're happy with um, the pitching, um, although you know both uh, Travis and Staley have ERAs, or Travis and Zane both have um, ERAs over three. But for the most part, you have to be – pretty happy with um the way the pitching has kind of formed out so far now give me some players that you know maybe you when you look at the stat sheet they haven't had the greatest start to the year but it's one of those guys that going into the season it was a you know look out for this guy he's gonna make a name for himself in a texas longhorn uniform who should lsu fans get to know and dylan campbell is hitting around 200 200 right now and he's he's kind of the heart of this team I mean, he's um came on really strong at the end of last year he's now their starting right fielder um a junior and he's you know one of their better offensive weapons they're not going to remove him from the top of the lineup and they just need him to get going and once he does you know he's a uh, really talented um you just need to look at that east carolina series last year just kind of see what the what what he brings to the table so once he gets going i think i think the offense will be in better shape and then you have some freshmen um Jalen Flores, highly regarded. He's kind of struggled, as you'd expect a freshman to struggle when they go from playing high school and club ball to seeing college guys throw 90, 95 or whatever. You know, those uh, SEC uh, arms are throwing these days. You know, you're going to struggle a little bit. Uh, Jared Thompson, who's uh, Jared Thomas, excuse me, who's uh, a freshman first baseman, you know, he's had some ups and downs. He's also batting under 200. So once those two kind of adapt to college ball and, um, kind of start to feel more comfortable. I think they're, they have both had really bright futures, but it's been a, a rocky start, which, you know, once again, I don't think you can hold that against uh, 
against the freshman. I think if uh, those two went out there and hit 400 with three home runs in that first weekend in Arlington, uh, I wouldn't need to be talking about them because everybody would already know who they who they are because that would be an incredible start. But uh, there's going to be growing pains with freshmen. And once those two figure it out, I think uh, I, I think Texas is going to be in pretty good shape. Now, looking at tonight's game specifically with LSU, you know, obviously they're the top team in the country. They've got a great pitching staff. They've got great bats. What do you think is imperative for the Longhorns to do to maybe slow them down and get a win? And honestly, Texas is going to have to pitch well. Um, we don't exactly know how they're going to form their pitching staff because they have a, a, a road series this weekend, and obviously you don't want to empty too many bullets in the chamber for for a midweek game. Um, but, you know, they're going to have to play defense. You can't give a, as cliches go, you can't give a team like LSU extra outs. So they're going to have to play good defense, um, situational. Um, they're going to have to cash in on situationals, situational offense. They can't be, you know, getting caught stealing and giving away outs on offense. But, you know, it's one of those things, I don't, I don't know how, how you two feel, but, you know, these midweek games, they're, they're great to watch. I'm going to have fun. I'm going to have fun watching them. But in the end, they don't really matter. I mean, they're, you know, it's a midweek game in February. We just need to go back, what was it, 2019 when Texas swept LSU um, up here when LSU was number one or number two and then missed the postseason. They didn't even make the Big 12 tournament that year. Um, so it's a long season. I think Texas just wants to get in there, have some of these uh, midweek guys, especially these midweek pitchers, kind of show – their stuff and you know just not look bad they don't want to have a repeat on the base pass of sunday they obviously don't want to go down and you know get two hits or whatever but if they go and lose a game to lsu a respectable six three six four game um that's fine that's you can you can build off that and obviously i i, I can't speak for lsu but if texas was to win this game it's obviously their season's not over either you know they're gonna they're gonna be just fine as well so um, there'll be things that Texas can work work on regardless. There'll be things that Texas can work on if they're playing. Uh, who cares, State? But um, I think they just want to get in there and pitch well and play good defense and see if they can muster something on offense. Danny Davis of the Austin American Statesman joining us here on the game. Hotline LSU battling with Texas tonight in Austin. Danny, appreciate your time. Enjoy the game, and uh, hopefully we can talk to you again down the line. Oh, you guys enjoy the season. And there he goes, Danny Davis from the Austin American Statesman. 6.30 tonight, pregame begins at 6, right here on the game. Thatcher Hurd pitching for the LSU Tigers and Can Dylan Cruz, who earlier today was named the SEC Co-Player of the Week. Find a way to lead the Tigers to yet another victory. Once again, you'll be able to hear it all right here on the game. We'll take a time out here, wrap up today's show right after this. This is Crunch Time on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. We here at the game know you love our shenanigans both on and off the air, and now we're giving you the opportunity to help us. So go and subscribe to our YouTube channel at The Game Louisiana and turn the bell on so you can get notifications when we post our brand new content and game recaps. Help us get to 1,000 subscribers to see more of our fun behind the scenes and after work mischief at The Game Louisiana on YouTube. Wrapping up today's show here on Crunch Time. Matt Miguez, James Mesh, getting you set for LSU baseball, getting ready to take on 
the Longhorns of Texas. James, LSU, first of all, they were masters of scheduling, uh, keeping everything in the Lone Star State for the week. Texas is a good team. They're 3-4. and four. They fell off a little bit last year. They're off to a little bit of a slow start this year, but they're still a good team. Can LSU get it done in Austin tonight? I believe they can. That extra time of not traveling, not having to worry about going to another place, you your focus is still in Austin. Do you get a do you get a cruise missile tonight? Ooh. Or is there a Tommy Tanks? I were I what I worry about with Cruz is maybe they, they try and purposely walk him too much. Yeah. To where he doesn't get the opportunity. Because they're looking at that five sixty five and they're like, if we want any chance we can't we can't allow him to hit have a cruise. Bomb. They could they could pull a southern cruise missile. Hit, they could pull a southern and hit him three times. Right. I mean, it's definitely a possibility. It's not, it's not the best. It's it's not the best option. No. Like it's not the most optimal. But what are you gonna do? Yep. It's tough oh, for to sure. stop Dylan Cruz. I think LSU wins tonight. I believe they will too. I mean, you get that one loss early out out of the way. You don't have to worry about it now. You don't have the stress of like how it was with LSU women of oh god we're twenty three and zero right. Uh, can we make it twenty eight? No, like you, right, right. you, you're seven, you're seven to one. You get it out the way now, and you can just like kind of cruise. You may have a lo- you may have a loss here or there every once in a while, but overall, not a big worry. I think they get it done in Austin. Thank you to our guests today, Brendan Moore and Danny Davis, for joining us for James Mesh. I'm Matt Miguez. Be safe, be well, and give a hug to your mom and them. And we'll talk to you tomorrow on this March 1st edition of Crunch Time right here on the game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Let's throw it over to Dish Falk Field in Austin, Texas, and the voice of the Fighting Tigers of LSU, Chris Blair for LSU in Texas right here on the game.